Local programming on KRWG made possible in part by viewers like you. Thank you. One of the ongoing conversations we've been having at Fronteras of Changing America is the role of the Latino Hispano male in the future, not only of this country, but of the world. On prior occasions, we have had numerous roundtables discussing what is ongoing with the Latino male educationally and in terms of its leadership role in our future. Well, this time around, we have put together a political roundtable discussion. I do say political because it has been a lot of political issues surrounding uh, the educational levels of Latino men that are a representation of Latino men throughout our nation's universities. We have with us NHI's Collegiate Leadership Network members that are men. Joining us today, we have uh, Victor Reyes from El Paso, Texas, currently a student at Incarnate Word, and also interning in Washington, D.C. Uh, on Capitol Hill. We also have, he is a member of the uh, Collegiate Leadership Network. We also have joining us uh, the president of the Collegiate Leadership Network, Arthur uh, Soto Vasquez. He has been on our show before. He's also NHI's College Student of the Year. We have joining us all the way here in studio, all the way from Dallas, Texas, Christopher Burge from the University of Texas at Austin. He particularly asked me to say the University of Texas at Austin. A little bit of a slight there to our <laughs> local universities. And also joining us is David Zambrano from the University of Texas at Austin all to have a discussion about all of this. So guys, if you've been following Fronteras, we've been having an ongoing discussion about the role of all of you and the fact that uh, there are so very few and far between men that are in the position where you guys are at right now, top tier colleges and universities, uh, wanting to get involved in the future of their communities. Your response to the level of uh, critiques that have been leveraged about you know, the position that men currently have when it comes to education in our country. Well, let me first start, Hector, by saying that that in its very essence is slapping a deficit mindset on Latino males. So what I'd like to say to my colleagues who are women, who are also part of the CLN, who are part of my community, is I won't slap a deficit label on you. Please don't do the same to me. Because I've, I'm, I'm not declining anywhere. We're not declining anywhere. We're still here. We're still very much present force. And we're still very much going to be one of the shapers of policy. We're very happy to collaborate. I'm not gonna limit it to anybody. I would okay. want to collaborate with all the members of my community. But in order to do that, I ask that they not slap any deficit label on me. I, I also, I don't really think that there is a deficit in Latino leadership it, within Latino males because of the fact that there are still large numbers of Latino men going to college. The absolute number of Latinos in college and the number of Latino men is higher than it's been in the United States ever. Latino's community is growing very fast. But the pure number of Latinos in university is very high. And there are definitely people that fill those leadership positions. What you have is a lessening number of Latinos in sort of middle class university trained professional positions. But the leadership positions themselves aren't really losing out at all. I think also that discussion about sort of um, women doing much better in colleges and universities misses the point of the debate, really. Because it's not, as Ernesto Nieto, president of the NHI, said recently on one of your shows, it's not a gender war. Um, it, it's to, to collaborate and to take on to new levels. And I'm excited for it. And, and, and definitely, yeah. So even, even though it's not a gender war, and 
I know this has been a big ongoing issue in the Collegiate Leadership Network. Now, for folks that are just joining us, uh, the Collegiate Leadership Network is a is a group of high achieving uh, college students from all over not only the United States but other countries as well, seven different countries that are all rising Latino Hispano uh, stars in our community. And you guys are coming together to have these series of discussions about the future of the community. Uh, you're here in, in the El Paso area in studio with us because of a, uh, your second inceptional meeting that you're, that, you're, that you're hosting. I know this is a big issue, but given that this is an issue, so how do you guys respond if it's not a gender war? Um, if there are numbers that are looking like, um, you know, the Latino male is not receiving the same level of education as uh, young ladies are across all demographics, not just in the Latino Hispano community. How does a group like yours respond? You know, I think that we have a very unique position. We have a position as a broker. We are here, and you know, you were saying we're not, we're not, we don't have any standard that we have to meet. Our lens is the lens isn't on us. The lens right now, they're putting it on themselves. And from there, from since we don't have the lens, we have the position to broker that individual power that they so forth want to harness themselves. But in them th doing that, they're really losing out because they're saying they're uniquely characterizing to that. But I don't think that the growth or the intellectual growth or the intellectual capacity growth of both groups is mutually exclusive. I think that the, the power for the community is going to come from the inclusivity and the ability for people right now who have power to help broker it to a new group. Just remember that after each person gone, the ship is still going to sail on, no matter what. And it's our, and it's our obligation to take, take, to take part, in the, uh, part in that and not to necessarily put us under a lens where we're going to be dissected apart. Since uh, the, some, of the, some of the trends show right now that uh, currently in colleges and universities, there are more ladies receiving advanced degrees, PhDs. JDs, masters. What does that mean for for the future of a community collectively, from 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 your perspective? I don't really think the gender of the people who are seeing those degrees matters no, as long as the communities have the leadership. I don't think that homes are weakened because the mother is going to university rather than the father. I don't think that families lose out because the gender of the person receiving a degree is, is different. As long as the, the community is still committed to education. And the numbers themselves are growing every year in terms of Latinos in university, it, it, in terms of proportion of society and absolute number are continuing to grow. So I don't really think that if Latino men are choosing to go other directions, or more importantly, if women are choosing to enter a field which were previously close to them, I don't really think that it's, that should be seen as a negative. I think it should be seen as the communities improving itself. And, and see, the concern though would be, I mean, for, I can anticipate their concern is that who are they going to see as partners then? these you know women with these advanced degrees will they choose to remain in the community and and you know work with with Latino men mm -hmm. or, or will they go outside the community and marry others or, or even you know partnership in business etc and, 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 and it goes back really to what Betty Friedman the person who created the idea of feminism really the leader of the feminist movement in the end she warned that the reason that the feminist movement had to happen was because there had to be collaboration and there previously wasn't right now we're seeing some sort of a reverse form of sexism that they want to that they want to perceive as happening but it's not happening the latino males the latino males in our community i think that we're welcoming it we're welcoming this growth this new partner with open arms the reason i, I let, let's go over some some quick statistics here um the reason i bring this up is that currently the, the latino hispano community uh, that you are all members of from dallas through el paso to other nations 
globally, some statistics are putting the Latino Hispano community as being amongst the top five uh, growing communities in the world on earth. Um, in the United States alone, it is the number one fastest growing demographic. Uh, between now and the year 2025, some people are saying that uh, there will be a shift in the majority of the nation. Um, some other projections show that by the year 2045, uh, the Latino community will, will lead the new majority of the nation to encompass between 40 to se uh, 70 percent of America's purchasing power. It's a big things, big things happening in your lifetime. Um, with these things happening, is the community that you're from in El Paso, the Latino Hispano community, however you want to define your community, Texas, this nation, is it ready to lead? You know, it's a very interesting thing. I was talking to my mom and we were watching some old movie in which they referred to the Latino community as a sleeping giant. And it was so funny because my mom answered, she was like, si estaba dormido, ya se levantó y ya está oliendo el café. Like here, they already woke up and they've <laughs> smelled the coffee. And it's very true. Yeah. And I think that that's very true. Look at CNN, read the articles. All, more and more articles are saying that it's gonna be the Latinos that make the difference in 2012. And by having this power, you become the policymaker. And we're taking ownership of the country. Look, especially in states like Nevada. Like I had, I've had the very unique privilege of going, working in Nevada, seeing that different change from how it used to be to where it is and that change and seeing Latinos take ownership. And it's a very interesting, and I think that we're ready. And I think that that's what we proved in that 2010 election that I worked for. And, and also I think that having this increased size and numbers and, and population brings about a tremendous amount of responsibility. And that's something that we are conscious of and creating the CLN and building it up as into an international national um, you know, network of, leadership, of leaders. Um, because we know that it's going to have to be, that responsibility is going to lie on us to, to move the community forward and to create those new things. And, and if it's us, that's why we're creating it. Well, it seems like we're transitioning a little into some of the, the big topics facing our community. I mean, if, if we are or are not ready to lead or we're trying to figure that out, and your particular group of, or network of co college level leaders uh, throughout, you know, various countries are getting together and discussing the future of their communities, well, what are the biggest issues facing our communities right now? Would you say? I mean, we have a good representation here from across. I would say it's a need to create. I think that that's an issue. And I think that that encompasses a lot of different things. The need to create, I think that, you know, you could look at it from an economic standpoint. You could look at it from an, uh, an educational standpoint. And I think that those are some of the biggest issues. And that we as a community need to create and need to innovate, really. And I think that that's very important. I, 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 I have to definitely agree with you in the fact that what the Latino community has failed to do or is doing right now but needs to just do uh, just to expand is just our really our 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 political and national stance we really need to get get ourselves into the national spotlight with what we're doing and I, I feel that we could be doing a lot more and creating a lot more for ourselves and for the community. How, how do we achieve that? I think politically, we're trying to mobilize the Latino, you know, voting base or, or potential voting base by using old, um, you know, 1960s, 1970s type, you know, election strategies and, and voting. I mean, it, I, I completely disagree. I, I think that too. the way that election campaigns are being run is completely different than in the past. I mean, there's sort of superficiality, but you don't see this, the same focus on civil rights. You see more you see more social media based driving and you also see more 
trying to push on new citizens to actually become involved. In the past, Latino voters weren't really driven by being uninvolved, and many Latinos weren't eligible to vote. Now you have a large number of Latinos that are politically inactive and are really distasteful about both parties. And the way parties address these people are entirely different. And it becomes really important in states like New Mexico, Arizona, Colorado, Nevada, where they're very evenly split between Democrats and Republicans, and where the Latino vote does decide the election it's, almost every time. And it's very important to look at, I think a model that we could follow and that we could look at is the rise of minority-majority districts, majority-minority districts, I'm sorry, and, co and the, the effect that co-ethnic candidates have on mobilization. Because as, as Chris was saying, it's, it's very interesting that we have this group that now just needs to be mobilized. And something that really does mobilize them is having a co-ethnic candidate run. And it's it's been proven through it's been proven through empirical research that that happens, and that's showing a very important trend is that we want to take ownership and that we're ready to take ownership, and that we see we find the candidates that in our community are able to do it and that they exist. I I, I hear two storylines at the table. One storyline being put forth by uh, Arthur, kind of saying, look, um, there are there is a need for new strategies, there is a need for new models, and then I also see the storyline of, hey. Um, you know, your mother mentioning the comment that the Latino community is kind of like this rising giant that already smelled the coffee and is getting ready to rumble. Um, you know, Christopher, you're, you're kind of mentioning the fact that they're now voting in, in greater turnout. Uh, unfortunately, in a, in, a, in a major community capital that is the Las Cruces, Ciudad Juarez, uh, El Paso areas, you, you don't really see that kind of turnout in terms of voting. I mean, yeah, they do vote, and yeah, our community uh, here, uh, where our show is filmed, is, is a community that does have a good number of voters, but uh, it's not that many. I mean, the, the last time that we had, we had, I think, an eligible base of over 300,000, and, you know, maybe a good 19,000, 20,000 showed up. Is that enough? I think that part of what that's showing is the fact that, unlike in other areas, here, being Latino isn't anything different. It's the norm and it's been the norm for 400 years. Is the fact that Latino candidates don't need to mobilize Latinos to come out to vote. They just need to mobilize people. And that is what the entire nation is becoming is an area like the borderland where you have an ethnic mixture of people from different backgrounds and where being Latino isn't uh, perceived as being a minority or being a, a downtrodden community in the area because it's such a large majority. And you know in a hundred years it's quite possible the United States will be three-quarters Latino just like the, the borderland region here is. It's interesting because when I was growing up and I was learning about what it was to be a minority, I never thought I never thought that I was included in that. I never thought in what in being a minority. Okay. I never thought that that was a term that applied to me. When I thought minority, I thought Martin Luther King Jr. I thought the struggles that he went through, and I never thought of myself. And it's weird. And still to this very day, I mean, I never. I lived. I live in San Antonio. I've been to D.C., which is a very ethnically diverse. But then I go to different places, and I, I try to understand it. But it's so with, ingrained within me because I am from El Paso. I did grow up partially in Juarez. I did understand that whole culture that I, I never thought of myself as a minority. Interesting kind of dynamic that's that's kind of arising here is that this is this is a representation of a. Of, of a body, of a network that, that is already actively discussing things like this. So when these conversations go on, uh, Arthur, you're the president of the organization. Uh, you know, you've been elected president of the Collegiate Leadership Network. Um, what, kind of, what kind of forward steps do you have in terms of amassing community capital, affecting community change, which you're obviously concerned with, yet have such many, so many different perspectives about how you should go about it? Well. The, what we're setting out to do right now 
is setting up the structure of the program, or of the, the network, really. Um, because it, it is in the initial phase. This is only our second meeting. Um, soon we're going to write our organizing documents. Um, but the big thing over the next year is to, is to activate those NH, former NHIers, former participants in the NHI programs, beyond just the 30 of us who are, are really the core of the CLN. Um, those, there's about 6,000 NHI undergrads across the nation and internationally. Um, that's going to be the next big step, activating those and bringing them back into the network of the NHI. Um, because then from there, I think there's going to be a diverse uh, pool of talent that, that's really accessible. Well, that's where our power comes from. That's where our abilities come from, is from the talent that we have, that we're the owners of. And from there, we're going to create ideas. And you know that in its very self is very marketable. The fact that we have that pool, that we have, it doesn't matter if we're 30, if we're five. I think that's a beautiful thing of the Collegiate Leadership Network, is that we don't necessarily, that in our numbers, as small as we might be right now, you know, right, like Arthur said, we're right now maybe a pool of 30 students. We have- From in, all different places. From all different places, oh, yeah. of course, from the Northeast, from the West Coast, the Midwest, everywhere. Mexico, Mexico Panama. Panama, the Dominican Republic. The interesting thing about that is that from that pool, our ideas are immensely powerful, immensely powerful, and that's value. And it's in our ideas that we have value, I mean, and that's also, how we're going to sustain ourselves. I think also if you look at the diversity of ideas proposing even our, just our first meeting, uh, me and Victor teamed up and, and, and along with some other students from the El Paso region, and we, we created um, a possibility a of a social enterprise that dealt with international business. Um, Flesh that out for me. What is what is a what are proposals at the Collegiate Leadership Network look like? Because I'm sure people are going. So what do these students gather around to do? Just mm -hmm. sit around, drink coffee, talk? No, 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 no. Um, these really the programs that that follow um, have a you know a strict idea of of what the vision is going to be of the program, and then sort of flesh out the the logistics of how am I going to do it tomorrow, right? And so our program, for example, talked about using the infrastructure already of the NHI to send committed college graduates. Um, to Latin American countries just to gain experience working in a, in a different environment, cultural environment. Well, specifically what we were addressing, we were addressing the fact that in the Latino community, there is already present, and it's, it's very interesting the way, we, the way you have to shape it, and like Ernesto was saying in a previous episode, the nomenclature. It all starts with the shift of the nomenclature. When we, when, from the very foundation of any organization, we as a CLN, we believe that it's very important to establish it with a nomenclature that assesses it as an asset and not a deficit. So we were looking to build upon the already present socially mobile Latino force that was in the country, that was in, specifically we we're targeting the US Latinos, and build upon that to become social entrepreneurs. And I think that that's a very, I mean, that's one social force that's happening. Well, what is a social entrepreneur? A, a social entrepreneur is, is somebody who is going to change the community, somebody who is willing to bring wealth and I guess the power back into the community and not simply hoard it all to themselves. It's essentially entrepreneurship as it's been practiced for, for centuries, but concerned more than just with profit or with personal gain. It's entrepreneurship either through for-profit enterprises or through non-governmental organizations that's designed to give back to the community, that's designed to provide a vital service that's not necessarily centered on profit. And social enterprises, it's, it's really a very broad term, but it, it covers the, the innovation necessary to, to be successful, but also the, the sort of outlook that, well, I can make a profit, I cannot let that be my only concern because my ideas have an impact on more than just me. There are more stakeholders than just me in, in my company, my organization. And it's about developing creative thought and new ideas that allows more than just one person's pocketbook to benefit, that benefits the entire community. 
I, I, I'm just kind of curious. I mean, it's, it seems like a very, um, and, and I've been privileged to kind of see the development of this uh, from, from, from afar because this has been a, an effort that you guys have led of your own accord. It, it, I look at it, I see it, it's very ambitious. And I ask the same, the same question to other members of your, of your group that have been on the roundtable discussions here before. Any naysayers? Within the organization or in general? Any naysayers to your ambitious agenda? I think of course I you get always people. be naysayers. Yeah. I think so. I, I think that, but I think that that's not part of what we're what we're focusing on. I think the most important naysayer to get over is our own our own ability mm -hmm. to say that we're not going to do it because I think once we get over that, then that's the yeah. that's the only naysayer we have to overcome. Mm -hmm. Really, I think. I, I guess I feel the biggest the biggest problem or our biggest naysayer is our our our. I guess tendency to look at things from a deficit-based point of view, and that's something that we addressed earlier, was that in order for this to move forward, or in order for our social entrepreneurship to really take effect, we have to look at what's in the community, we have to look at the capital that's already there, instead of looking at what's not there, and I feel that that tends to be our, what holds us back the most is how we tend to go back to this deficit point of view. It's, it's, it's see, we are looking at a social impact that's gonna come from uh, within the community from a force that's already present. See, the thing about organizations such as that have been failing and that have really been declining, such as La Raza Unida Party or other, other organizations such as La Raza Unida, is that once their mission is completed, once people are in office, once you have uh, Latino elected officials who are in office, once you have Latinos who are voting, their mission's done. So then what? So then what do we do? That's a good question. So then what are we going to do besides twiddle our thumbs? We're creating more. And our, and our mission, our social impact doesn't end. It really doesn't, because we can always create more wealth for, for our community. We're essentially concerned of growth. That's and I mm -hmm. think that one thing that it's very important is that it's helping develop the next generation of Latino civil society and civil society in general in our country, that people at our age don't tend to create new organizations or develop new thoughts with that. You see the same people joining the same Rotary Club, Lions Club, Chamber of Commerce. You don't see new groups with new mindsets developing. And I think that's really important that people of our generation, the generation that in 10 or 20 years are going to be community leaders, that are going to be leaders on a national and global scale, create the, the infrastructure to support that kind of growth and to support new thinking throughout the world and in their own communities and expanding uh, across the border into other countries and, and getting people of their age interested in their community rather than simply in themselves or in their own pastimes and really making growth and, and development a global concern and a community-wide concern rather than just an individual concern. So in essence, you guys are in the midst of developing a global movement. It sounds very <laughs> ambitious to kind of put out to, to, the, to the viewership, but a global movement that, that you guys are in the midst of bringing together by bringing folks from different nations to get work together and on a regular basis to kind of carry out the social entrepreneurship agenda that you're developing. Where do you see it five years, ten years from now? Uh, as, 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 as a cohesive unit, uh, as, as a movement, where do you see it? I think that a very important way to see it is how we're going we're gonna to measure our success. And I think that really the, the measure of our success needs to come from the ideas that emerge from our organization yeah. and the way that we collaborate with each other. Every idea that comes from our organization, that comes from affiliates of our organization, is going to be backed by the intellect that exists within the Collegiate Leadership Network. That's the point of the network, to form this base of intellect upon which we can build together. And I think that that's what we're going to do. We're going to see ideas that reach fruition. Right now, we're just a network with several ideas that have been formed in our initial meeting back at Celebración in San Antonio. 
But once these, organi these organizations, these creations start building, start growing, the, the possibilities are they're, they're endless. They really are. And I'm really excited. That's what I'm so excited about is to see it and to see who comes and who presents an idea to me and who presents an idea to the group and what we can do and what I can do and how I can be part of that social impact that's going to occur. I think especially in five years, too, you're going to see some of the older members who have already taken positions in the, in the community of leaders and new members coming in, having new fresh ideas and bold ideas and having raw intellect and then able to connect with these older members and then really, you know, take put their ideas into, into From practice. The and, and exactly. And I, I, no. and yeah. I think for us the important thing too is that is that we not simply become bogged down in the thought process of, of coming up with ideas and, and being a sort of think tank organization, but actually doing them. Yeah. And I think mm -hmm. that that's in the next five years where the difference comes in is as we get older, as we develop this ability to to produce our ideas and actually to to build those ideas into real structures, real enterprises that can actually have an impact rather than just on a theoretical level. And I think that as, as we get older and as we grow or force year by year, the ability for us to do that becomes a lot stronger. And I think that the impact of this organization and the entire community by using that model can grow. I, I want to, we're, we're at the tail end of the show and I, I do have a question specifically for, for Arthur, who's in El Paso and now president of this organization. Um, you've chosen two places to have your inceptional meetings of, about this whole coalition that you're building of NHI alumni. You chose San Antonio and you chose El Paso. Why El Paso? It's, it, honestly, it really is the epicenter of the CLN at this, at this current moment. Um, most of our members are, draw from the El Paso region. Uh, it was an easy location for obviously all of us to come, but, but really there's, yeah, but beyond that, obviously, there's just a lot of like, I think, support in this community for, for this type of and initiative. I think that, and I really think, I've always said it and I stand by it, is that El Paso is the cosmopolitan capital of the world. You know, folks, uh, it's, it's exciting to get involved with something like this. Uh, I've been privileged to be a member of the National Hispanic Institute for uh, the greater portion of the last 16 years of my life. I'm now working with the organization as one of former alumnus and, and have with me a lot of colleagues and, and good friends around the table that are kind of taking all of this in a different direction. And it's all happening here in our community and on a global scale. It's something to get involved with, it's something to get interested in. If you want to get involved with the National Hispanic Institute, you can always get more information at www.nhi-net.org. We'll have to have another one of these discussions later. Gentlemen, and until next time, folks, for all of us here at Fronteras, have a good evening. I'm Hector H. Lopez.